You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. got a question yeah. why do we sign up for this sport like why did we have to choose baseball out of all of them like formula one races are over in 90 minutes <laughs> why did we have to choose the sport that at least if you are the best team in the world at least i'm talking tough losses i'm talking weird free agent signings i'm talking dfaing a certain player that you've loved 50 times in a calendar year your favorite team will rip your heart out throw it on the floor and push it around with their shoe and then you come back clamoring for more baseball the next day like baseball is just that sport right and that's from the fan side too I never asked myself that question as much from that perspective until now when we have to record uh, at midnight. This is early for us right now. This is an early recording. Right. When I used to play, man, you know, you strike out twice and you're just walking back to the dugout the second time. And it's like, why the hell am I doing this? Like This blows. I go one for three. I'm still pissed. But overall, like I'm supposed to be happy with a 333 batting average. But all I can think about is – the long time between the strikeout, I go out to the field. I sit there like, God, I suck. I struck out on that pitch. I shouldn't have struck out. And that's all you're thinking about for like 45 minutes until you get up again. It's, it's, it's a terrible sport, uh, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. And we had some, some damn ball games today. We had some yeah, ball games. It, it was a weird day of baseball. It was an awesome day of baseball yesterday. And this is coming out here on Wednesday, October 20th. This is the Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen with Arm Layton. Pete's got the night off. He's putting his feet up. I'm sure he's asleep by now. Oh, he's he's well into his REM cycle. And he's just going to watch the condensed game tomorrow. And you can fast forward to probably the seven-minute mark to see Nathan Yavaldi come in, and then the wheels fall right off. Let's start with the ALCS. The Astros are pummeling the Red Sox right now. We started recording before the game was even over, before the top of the ninth was even over. We've got one out in the bottom of the ninth. It's 9-2 Houston with Ryan Presley on. He just struck out Travis Shaw. He just struck out Kyle Schwarber. So now he's seeing Kike Hernandez, who, oh my God, is 0 for 4. Coming 0 for 4? What is that? He's human. He's human. He's still this, hitting 471, though. <laughs> dude, I mean, this game 
had everything you wanted. It had early fireworks. It had unsung heroes bridging the gap. Christian Javier was amazing. Amazing. And then you get to the ninth inning and you get that bad managerial decision that you need in a postseason baseball game. When I say everything you want, bad managing is something that I want in a postseason game. And you just extended Nathan Yavaldi by a day, bringing him out there in a tie game where the game could have gone either way and the wheels fall off the bus for the Red Sox in the ninth inning. Seven-run frame for Houston. I, You sent me a text. I've got the receipts. You know, because <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty. hundred percent. And that's something that I'm so glad that we text during these games because you, you can hold me accountable and vice versa. Right. Because if I just come in and say, terrible decision, blah, 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 blah. Like, it, it, of course you can say that when it went wrong. But, yeah. yeah, I don't even remember what I said, honestly. Yeah, I'll pull it up right now. Let's just say you and I texted each other like, verbatim the same exact thing before the Bellinger home run. Yeah, which and, I'm excited to get to. Yeah, I'm very excited to get to that. But here's what you said to me. You said, let's see. Um, I hate this move. I said, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it. You said, rather have him fresh for a presumptive game six. Even if he threw a three-pitch inning, you could still lose. And then after the bases clearing double, you said, horrid. <laughs> All right, yeah. I, and this, this is the thing for me, is if you're winning that ball game, I'm in. I'm in. And if he blows it because you're winning, we can talk about it there. Because at least in that perspective, you're saying, we need to win this game. We want to go up 3-1. We'll figure it out later in terms of, of who's going to throw when. That I can understand. And you'd have a Valdi available for maybe game six or game seven if it came to that. But you'd feel really good about your chances 3-1 going back to Houston, although that still is a little bit scary uh, going back to Houston no matter what the situation is. I think when you're tied there, Valdi could have had the best inning of all time and you still lose. So now you have... Evaldi used you lose even though he did his job and now with like we saw with Max Scherzer who did the similar thing then came out and pitched and he was gassed in the fifth he said it himself I was gassed in the fifth and I know he's 37 but Evaldi's not 24 and he is a high effort guy and those were high stress pitches you could just say oh it was just 25 pitches no 25 pitches are the same This isn't just a regular season 25 pitches. This was high effort, high stress, big time pitches. You could tell by the grunts that you could hear from your living room couch. Like those were amped up pitches from Yavaldi. And I promise he felt like he threw 50 after throwing 25 there. The fact that it went wrong only reinforces it, but that's your best pitcher by far, by far right now. Obviously Chris Sale at hundred percent is your best pitcher. He's not, that's your, your ace. And I just don't think you're in a spot where you have to do that right now. Alex Cora has managed phenomenally throughout the entire postseason, And you know what? You can't be perfect, but that's the kind of series altering move that could open the door for the Astros, because that's the one guy I'm afraid of in the Red Sox rotation right now. That's it. That's the only guy I'm really worried about. Maybe Pavetta, (laughs) maybe Pavetta, but that's about it. Maybe Eduardo Rodriguez. (laughs) Nah, he finds a way to always mess it up. He does. Here's the thing. And Ethan Badowski is one of the writers for Just Baseball. He tweeted this. 24 pitches from Nate Yavaldi pushes him back at least a day. 
I love analytics as much as anybody, but I am so fed up with how managers are using their bullpens. It's totally out of control. I agree. Everybody seems to reinvent the wheel in the postseason. And I understand that the wheel needs tinkering, right? If it's, you know, an octagonal wheel where it's choppy during the regular season, you want to round that thing out. You want to buff out the corners here. But everybody's trying to create this bullpen monster that doesn't have to be there. The 2019 Nats, Daniel Hudson finished off the World Series. Who did they have? They had Steven Strasburg, who was the World Series MVP. They had Max Scherzer. They had a good Patrick Corbin. Like, starting pitching got them there. So if you were tied in the Series 2-2, and you send Yavaldi out for a winner-go-home Game 6 or a clinching Game 6 in Houston... I mean, you feel so much better about that situation, but now you probably have to hold him until game seven because if you run him out there in game six, he's going to be tired and he's going to hit the same wall that Max Scherzer hit in the fifth inning. And that's not good for Alex Cora. So I understand that these guys are thinking way deeper than we are, right? They're thinking about the repercussions weeks down the road. I mean, next week, if they get to the World Series, every little aspect of what could happen in the postseason is taken into account but in the heat of the game it's a lot easier for us with cool heads to say that was the wrong decision but I think even in that heat of the moment if I'm in Alex Cora's cleats I'm saying listen that's the wrong decision (laughs) Alex Cora's cleats does he wear cleats or does he wear like turf shoes I think he wears turf shoes but that also brings up the topic that I think it's ridiculous that managers wear full uniforms. I agree. <laughs> like, I, I was, my, I had a couple of friends that aren't big baseball guys and they were like just in a clowning baseball mode. Uh, one number one clowning baseball is that there was a hill in center field in Houston, which I told them has now been removed, but they're like, you it. could just put obstacles in the field of play and removing myself for a second. I was like, yeah, that is actually insanely ridiculous. Um, and then the second thing that they used was the managers wear the full uniform. Imagine, Eric Spolstra on the sideline, just, just in a Jersey and, and everything like that. Sorry. I had to go off on that for a second, but uh, <laughs> when it goes back to the managerial decision here and, and the bullpen situation as a whole, this has become a topic now through the postseason. I know Scott Boris, you know, didn't wait too long to come and comment on it. And he called it a black eye on baseball, the way that they're handling uh, the, the bullpen situations. I think that's a bit dramatic, um, but I, I will say that I think we're seeing the difference here. The Braves, who I, I know they blew it today, but that was because of one swing of the bat from a, a Cody Bellinger, which we'll get to, against one of their more reliable relievers in Luke Jackson, who's been great all year. You know, yeah. that's just baseball. That, 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 ah, that's just baseball. But that's literally just what the game is. That's going to happen sometimes. It's not about a managerial decision. The Braves don't have a great bullpen. It's been better down the stretch, and it's been solid enough in the postseason. Snickers going on field. I mean, I'm sure they've got their numbers that that give them a baseline, but Snickers going on field, and he's been managing that bullpen more traditionally. I mean, Charlie Morton walked four guys in the first inning, and he still ended up going deep into that ball game. I don't think any other manager in baseball lets Morton go that long. No and shot. you know what? I think I think that's going to still help the Braves in the long run is that in this devastating loss, they didn't shred their entire bullpen. Uh, and I know we're going to get into, <clears throat> excuse me, into that game more specifically in a moment, but to kind of wrap up the ALCS situation there. 
I just don't want to, if I'm the, if I'm the Red Sox, I don't want to give the Astros a window knowing in this setup where you are going to go back to Houston for three games now, um, you know, that, that whole setup the way it is, I just, or, or would it be two games now, right? It's two, three, two, two, three, two, two, three, two. So you're going back for two games. I just don't know if, if I'm a big fan of going all in when you get another home game tomorrow. And at this point, it's kind of a slugfest, right? Like that's the one advantage. I, I think the one ace you have in your back pocket is that you literally have an ace. Is there anyone in Houston's rotation you're really worried about right now that no, anybody I, don't want to face? One, the one guy that I'm worried about is out with forearm tightness. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's advantage Red Sox and they somewhat diminished that advantage here. Why? Right. Why is the big question here? I'm trying to figure out why, why not go to another bullpen arm there? I don't have a good answer for you. Um, I think Alex Corin knows that his bullpen is not that strong, but even then, wouldn't you rather go to a B minus bullpen arm than push your ACE back a day? Especially in a tie game again, because if he pitches a scoreless inning there, you're putting a lot of, of trust in the Red Sox scoring in the bottom of the ninth. They don't score. Now you get another decision to make. Do I send Nadia Valdi out for the 10th? At that point, you probably do because you're already deep yes. into it. So now you probably, you, you could presumptively burn him for the rest the of series. the series potentially. And, and you get lost in that. Uh, and even if you don't keep him in there, so you pull him after the one inning, now you used him and you're going to still have to go to the bullpen arm. You don't trust in the 10th in the same situation anyways. So what that move says to me, and I, I respect it based on, you know, the magic that the Red Sox have had, it was almost buying into the magic too much, right? Like we are definitely getting a run in the bottom of the ninth here. So if he have already gives us a scoreless inning, I, I won't even have to worry about the 10th. I just don't know if, if I'm a big fan of that, because if you do go into the 10th, you're either right back to square one, except you use Diavaldi or you're stretching Diavaldi out even more and you're burning him even further. So I just think they, it was just a situation where you set yourself up for failure, even if it went well. And the only way that it would have worked out was scoreless inning for Eovaldi and then a run in the bottom of the ninth. And that's not the most uh, lock guarantee type of thing to expect there. I'd say it's more likely that it doesn't happen. There's too many right. other outcomes that could happen. And that's exactly what we saw. Right. Final score at Fenway on Tuesday night, 9-2. Houston got the win that went final as we were talking about that. Uh, they kind of laid down after the seven-run top of the ninth inning. I do have two quick questions. They can honestly be answered with yes or no, I think, and just a quick why before we get to the NLCS that happened before Red Sox-Astros. Number one, do you feel like this was the coming-back-to-earth game for the Red Sox offense? A little bit, yeah. I, I, I do, because it's not to say that this offense is not one of the better offenses in baseball when, when all of their, their guys are clicking and healthy, it's a spectacular team, but this was just not a sustainable thing that we were seeing from them, what they were doing situationally, what they were doing in the biggest spots imaginable and the way they were able to compile up grand slam after grand slam. It's one thing to hit home runs. It's another thing to get to, to rack up the grand slams the way they were. There's a level of, of luck involved there uh, of your big hit coming in those spots. Uh, there's a little bit of the just clutchness that I think is in it too. Yeah. But you can only ride that wave for so long. 
I'm very interested to see how the Red Sox respond here because as we've talked about, you have the one game that brings you back to earth. Fortunately, they've got another game at Fenway. If they were going back to Houston, I'd be worried because that's just a big momentum killer. You still are in a decent spot. You still should feel good. A little bit more worried. You got to have this one tomorrow now. And I would argue that it might've made more sense to go Yavaldi tomorrow and, and then just save them for game seven. If you're going to have this approach. So yeah. it, it, it's one of those situations where if they came back down to earth, they're in trouble. They're in big time trouble. And I think we're going to find out for sure tomorrow uh, based on how they respond. This isn't a yes or no question, but who's your series winner right now? We're tied two two. I'll give you mine and my reasoning, but I want to hear you first. You know, it's funny because I think about it and I still feel like the, the Red Sox are up in the series. Yeah. For whatever reason, it still feels like it's Me too. one. It really does. And that does have a, a level of, of value to it because I think the reason that we feel that is because of how clutch the Red Sox have been and what they've done at home. But I am also not going to underestimate what the Astros can do at home as well. They can do the same thing. There's some magic and some man-made magic there, but that we know that's not a component anymore. So we, we know that there is a level of just magic that they are able to generate there too. Obviously I'd like to wait till tomorrow to say, to make my answer there. I think it's anybody's series, but gun to my head after that Evaldi decision and where that may leave him and where that leaves this team. And they also used Whitlock for two innings today. So I'd assume he's most likely unavailable tomorrow. I'm, I'm leaning Astros at this point. Uh, they got through the Granky game. It's only going to yeah. get a little bit better for them pitching-wise. I, I do feel that way. Uh, they'll have Javier available for game six to stretch him out even more, I think. Pavetta not going to be available for a little bit. I, I like the way the Astros have managed the last couple games, and I think they've put themselves in a good spot here, especially going back home for the final couple ball games after this one in, uh, in Boston. They have managed the last couple of games well. Having said that, they've had to use way too many arms because their starters have sucked. Oh, they've been terrible, which is part of the reason why I feel good about the Sox outlook is, or I mean, excuse me, the Astros outlook, because the fact that you were able to survive a 20 ERA by your starting pitchers, and now all of a sudden it's 2-2, it can't get much worse than that. So I'm looking at it the other way. You're using everybody. I mean, you've emptied that bullpen time and time again already, and you're only four games in. You have three more possible games to play, and everybody's just going to be tired as hell. How do you get through game five? How do you get through game six when you get back to Houston? I think you can pace it out if you're Dusty Baker and have some rested guys for a game seven if you get there. But five and six are going to be hard. Five is going to be nearly impossible tonight after no off day. You're just jumping right back into it. And Zach Granke can't get you out of the, what, second inning? He came out after an inning and a third. Yeah. You know, I think the starting pitching is going to get better. Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez, they're going to put together better starts. But everybody's been used. And because of that, I'm going to say that the Red Sox tap back into this offense and they're still going to win the series. So that's my thought. I, I could see either, either happening. And I just have a weird feeling because I was expecting Valdez to shove 
he seemed like that antithesis of the Red Sox, given that he gets the ground balls and the Red Sox are a team that looks to do damage with homers. And uh, the way that Valdez pitches is typically guys that the Red Sox have struggled against. And now Valdez has a chance to come back and improve after a, a rocky start the first time out and try to catch this Red Sox team slowing down a little bit. I think he could do it uh, on the flip side. If Eovaldi shows that you know, he he's the playoff stud, he's a guy that takes his, his game to another level. I know he didn't have it tonight. Not everybody can come out of the bullpen as a starter. If he takes his game to the next level, like he always does and shoves it's back to advantage Red Sox. It, it's one of those situations where I think the difference in this series could be one starting pitcher, not sucking. That's yeah. that simple. One starting pitcher gives you five plus of one run ball you're in the driver's seat now like that that's how much it's been pieced together it's like both teams are trying to piece together this complex puzzle and they're using every little piece they can and if you could just get one big piece that just eats up a good portion of that puzzle then you have a huge advantage and i think valdez could be that guy i think yavaldi could be that guy Mm -hmm. and it's going to be interesting to see which one of the two steps up uh, unfortunately, the Red Sox hurt their chances uh, in the Evaldi category, but he could easily, you know, overcome that. We're about to get to NLCS game three. That was the Dodgers taking their first against the Atlanta Braves. Braves are still up 2 1 in the series. But first, we've got a good collab going with Pillbox Batco, the Just Baseball shirt. Uh, I know you have one. It's comfy as hell. I Peter told the story of Will Cohen wearing it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, that's kind of gross. You should wash your shirts. That's, but- that's he's a video editor. He he doesn't need to be clean, right? Apparently, it's just a damn comfy shirt. What's your review? It's it's comfy. I, I don't wear it three days in a row, but I do. I am eager to wash it to wear it again. Um, I, I I really. It was one of those shirts that I saw the design when they sent it. I was like, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. And then I put it on, and I told you this. I was like, I went, <laughs> I went in the bathroom, looked in the mirror. And it wasn't one of those like, oh, I look good today because that doesn't usually happen too much for me right. uh, unless the facial hair is like really on point. The stubble right. is just looking real strong. Uh, but I looked at the shirt and I was like, this thing's this thing's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it really grew. I mean, I, we, we had a lot of people in the DMs, you know, saying that they liked it and uh, that they loved the design. So, I mean, Pillbox, it was cool to have somebody else with a take on our logo and our signage and have a different spin on it because we only know what we know. Uh, so I thought they did an awesome job. They killed it. And it's been cool to have merchandise uh, and see people having a level of interest in, you know, what we're creating here, uh, I think is, is, is pretty darn special. And it, it feels surreal that one person buys a shirt. I'm like, you want a shirt of, of our company? That's yeah. so cool. Like, it, it, it makes me feel like warm inside every time. Just Baseball and Pillbox Batco's collab, the Just Baseball shirt, good price, holiday season coming up. Uh, go get it. Episode uh, not I in our episode description. The link to get the shirt is in there. So go down there. It's late. It's eleven twenty four my time. It's twelve twenty four. Must be time. nice. Must it's be really nice. nice. Time I is so Central fake. Time. time is fake, dude. It doesn't make sense. Arizona just decides they don't want to play by the rules. I yeah. remember I had an interview with a prospect that was out in Arizona, and I'm like, oh, okay, they're on they're on West Coast time, and nope. then I get the notification. You know, this person's in your in your Zoom room or whatever. And I'm like, I was 10 minutes away from my house. I'm like, oh my God. So it was like technical difficulties, 
fly home, get home and run in there. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, Arizona decides to be two hours different. But yeah. then everybody else can be three hours different. You can decide to what, whether you want to opt in to the fabricated time management that we make. Yeah, that Indiana blows my freaking that. mind. Indiana was doing that for a little bit, too. Um, this series jumped three hours back. It was Eastern time zone to West Coast time. It went from Truist Park to Dodger Stadium, and the Dodgers got their win because of Cody freaking Bellinger. I mean, the guy that looked like shit during the 2021 regular season. I know he was dealing with injuries, but I mean, he was full-blown bad, and he goes and gets a neck-high pitch and sends it out to tie the game in the eighth inning. We were texting back and forth during that at bat. I mean, I texted you. Let me pull up our thread again. This was the craziest, honestly. This was this was, the, this was one of the cooler live uh, live text situations we've had during the game because this is hilarious. We both just had this little this little feeling, this little tingling inside. I think that it was going to happen at seven fifty two. I said, "If Bellinger does this, I swear to God." You immediately responded. I just said the same thing verbatim. I'll lose my shit. At 7.54, he goes yard. Yep. And you say, I have chills. I I really got chills there. I I really did. Because for somebody, you know, I never played professional baseball, but I played baseball. But I also have friends that play professional baseball and friends that have played in the major leagues. And I've seen first, you know, up close, how daunting and mentally taxing it can be to be in a slump in in this game that we love, but how much it can take the joy out of it. And I can promise you, Cody Bellinger didn't have a ton of fun playing baseball this year. There's no way it hurt half the time when he played the other half. It, even when he didn't feel pain, presumably if he, if he didn't feel pain all the time, I think he was playing through a lot of stuff. He was a warrior because he brought so much value on the defensive side. But when you're struggling like he did, it's just not fun. It's not fun. Sucking at anything is not fun, especially after you won an MVP. And I thought he handled everything throughout the season with grace. But you know that everybody's saying, this guy's garbage now. That What happened? We were clowning him, you know? And, yeah. of course, like, we're guilty of it, too. It, it comes with the territory, right? And he never snapped at anybody or hit a breaking point or, you know, made excuses, mentioned injuries, he said, I'm an MVP, you know, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. He just kept his head down and kept going. And what really amazed me is how he was able to turn the page. I assume that health was a part of it, but to hit 160, have one of the worst seasons we've ever seen from a guy that won an MVP two years ago and is still in his prime, maybe not even reaching his prime yet. He's right. so young. To turn the page the way he did, and just go into this postseason like it was a fresh year, like it was a fresh season and it was something totally new. I have so much respect for Cody Bellinger and his maturity and his professionalism. And just, I think, the way he carries himself. You just don't do that. I don't know how many players are able to come up big in that spot after everybody doubted them for the duration of the year. People were saying, leave him off the postseason roster. Yeah, Like that was a legitimate conversation. I don't think it had much legs, but like that was something that people were saying that wasn't even getting scoffed at. Yeah. He's been one of the biggest guys for them. And and I'm excited to get your thoughts on it because I mean, we break down the at bat 
he missed that pitch right before. And he was caught in between. I was worried. It was like he missed on a curveball under a curveball. And then he was late on a fastball. And I'm like, oh, he's in between the two pitches. He's doomed. And he said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to commit to one pitch here. Hope he throws it. And if he does, I'm not missing it. And he decided that he thought the fastball was coming. He committed to it. And it was a fastball that couldn't have been in a much better place, especially it, for him. It and was he got a perfect it. spot. It was a perfect spot. Um, Lauren Shahadi, I know you love the work she does. I love the work she wow. does. The post-game interview with Bellinger and Mookie Betts. The first question she asked Cody was, you know, what did this postseason, what did the opportunity of this postseason give you? And he said, a fresh start. There you go. Right? It's it's that idea that you can wipe it all clean and you can get back to postseason performer Cody Bellinger because I'm sure a lot of people remember the first impression of Cody Bellinger in the postseason was not a good one. It was in 2019. It wasn't a good one. He struggled mightily. And then in 2020, he came through with a couple of big home runs, some big catches, and then that changed the narrative on him as a postseason performer a little bit. And then he sucked this regular season and the ability to wash that all away and hammer, I think it was 97 from Luke Jackson, well above the zone. If you're going to get a guy to commit to a neck high fastball, <laughs> nobody's hitting that pitch out. Mike Petriello took a screen grab of where that pitch was on K zone on Savant. And he, I mean, I, he said something along the lines of how does anybody hit this out of the ballpark? And the only way you hit it out of the ballpark is if you are 100% sure that you are offering it a fastball if you see one. And that's what he did. He commit to it. He took a gamble. It's like a goalkeeper diving the right way in penalty kicks in, in a soccer match. Like that is what Bellinger did and it worked for him. Here's my thought on the ability to wipe it clean. You and I, I wouldn't say we clown a lot of guys. We do clown people sometimes, but you know, our job, what we are paid to do is put a critical eye to athletes' performance, right? Regardless of whether they get paid to do it or they're at the collegiate level, we put athletes under the microscope because if you are an athlete, you sign up to get critiqued. You make enough money you get not, not you make enough money, but the reason you make as much money as you do, part of it is because you are going to be under the microscope at all times. That's kind of our problem too, right? When we put something out and we're wrong, we hear it. Oh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to compare us to Cody Ballinger whatsoever, but when you sign up for something in the public sphere and you have this dream job and you do something you truly want to do, it's not all flowers and rainbows you're gonna have to run into the shit sometimes and Cody Bellinger ran into the shit and he came out of it a stronger baseball player I think uh, I love that you finished it with that statement because that's something that I will 100% apply moving forward which is Cody Bellinger is always going to be a streaky hitter I think he's gonna have on a macro scale when you look at a season cumulatively moving forward he'll have great years but I do think that you're going to have stretches just the way he is. There's so many moving parts to his swing. There's a lot of things that have to be timed up uh, that when he's off, he's going to have bad months or bad weeks or whatever it is. 
But I have this confidence now that when he's going bad, and even if it looks terrible, that he's going to be able to get through it because he has what it takes between the ears. And that's something that as, as a prospect analyst too, and that's what I spend so much of my time doing, it is really hard to be able to gauge that kind of thing. Obviously, I can't, I can't read minds, but I can get an idea, especially just on the little things, the way that they are able to turn around from a slump and the way they're able to uh, maybe not let things pile up on them or vice versa. I think you can see that. And when I see Cody Bellinger in a slump moving forward, I'm going to have a level of comfort knowing that this guy has been through some of the worst stretches that you can imagine. I don't think he's ever going to have a stretch worse than what no. we saw this past year. I, it's just not possible. And he already is flipped the page and come through with one of the biggest hits. I would argue, I would argue in the last 20 years in Dodgers baseball, Absolutely. because, because you can say what you want about them winning the world series next last year. And I'm not trying to take it away from them, but there's a level, at least to me and to some of the players I've talked to where they're like, Yes, you won the World Series, and that is a real victory. But you still want to show that you can do it on a 162 in a full postseason. And you want to show that you can really do it, uh, especially as a Dodgers team that has been known to choke (laughs) and been known to just come up short. I'm sure they want to show that they can do it on a full season scale in a normal situation. They lose that. They're down 3-0. I wouldn't say it's impossible, uh, but it's, it's pretty darn close. And... That's why I think that's got to be one of the biggest hits we've seen from Cody Bellinger and, and, or excuse me, from the Dodgers. From a Dodger. Yeah. In decades. Yeah. I, I think it's funny because you talk about what belly has between the ears. And I, I think he's got it to almost a fault because everybody thinks he's a stoner. Like <laughs> I really just think he's it just calm, collected, knows exactly what he is. Exactly. You know, they, they talk about guys that are like almost too smart. You're overthinking it in the box. I'm not saying Cody Bellinger isn't smart, but sometimes there's people that are able to just simplify things. Yeah. Uh, he obviously was smart in that at bat. Cause like we talked about, he, he knew that he had to commit to one pitch there, commit to his own and, and hope that it was there. And, and it was, and if it is there, you can't miss it because you're not going to guess right twice. Uh, odds are stacked against you and he didn't miss it. There's there's a level of Cody Bellinger, this calm, cool, and collect, and I think that's why people think he's like a stoner high guy all the time. His eyes don't help either. He's no. always got like the he's got the sleepy eyes. Right. Uh, but that's definitely there's a level of calm to him. You don't see him, you know, really snap his bat on his leg and lose his shit and go nuts and whatever. He's even keel, and whether it's because of. Uh, the devil's lettuce or not. <laughs> I'm not. I think it's so funny when people call it that. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's what it represents more so. And it's that level of, of, of calm that yeah. I think allows him to survive the ebbs and flows that come in a baseball season, especially when you're as streaky as he is. That hit fired me up. It made me so happy. I have no attachment to the Dodgers. I have no attachment to Cody Ballinger. Baseball is better when Cody Bellinger is good, people who don't follow baseball closely know who Cody Bellinger is. And it's because he's a cool guy. He's a good looking dude that plays the game hard, that plays the game. Well, he's marked won an MVP and won an MVP at a very young age in LA. Yeah. Those are the guys you need to do well. Yes. And he could be very good for baseball moving forward. Uh, and who knows could sign a pretty big deal with a uh, local dispensary. <laughs> 
we promised people snack size podcasts, so we only have a couple more minutes here. But I want to wrap up with with this thought about the Dodger bullpen. They ran nine guys out there. There was a lot of hands-on from Dave Roberts, and I don't like it a lot. I don't want to talk about that because we're going to talk about that. I know when they lose the next game, it's going to be on Dave Roberts or when they win the next game, it's going to be Dave Roberts using eight pitchers or not using eight pitchers. And then that's the story. So I don't think we need to spend any time on the Dave Roberts managerial approach because everybody's doing it already. And I think it's the Dodgers managerial approach. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's coming from the top. Yeah, you think I, like I think Andrew it's the Friedman same thing? with the Rays. People talk Kevin Cash, Kevin Cash. It's not. I, I don't think it's Kevin Cash. Interesting. I, I think a lot of it comes from the top. Interesting. Uh, Gabe Kapler. How much? How much autonomy does Gabe Kapler have? This was a guy that was booed out of Philadelphia, right? For for his managerial decisions, where I think he had a lot of autonomy. And I'm not saying that Gabe Kapler didn't do a great job managing his team because that transcends bullpen management. Gabe Kapler is a player's manager. And he is, I think, a much better fit in San Fran, clearly. There's a reason why a well-run organization like the Giants opted to hire him. I'm not saying he's a bad manager. But to go from fired to manager of the year that quickly, I just I wonder how much is out of his control and how much I've talked to people that close to baseball really feel like Kevin Cash has zero autonomy, which Mm -hmm. I don't think surprises anybody in the slightest. I really don't think it does. I feel like the Dodgers are quite similar in that regard. As we know, they're, they're run somewhat similar. Wouldn't surprise me with the giants. And I feel like there's a limited amount of autonomy in some of these, you know, managerial situations. I think Cora oftentimes is, is making his own field decisions. I know Brian Snitker and his old school ass. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And, and so you, you can kind of tell it's almost something that it's palpable almost. Uh, I don't like to be too speculatory, but that's something that you can almost just feel it because you could tell the traditional decisions versus what seems more analytically geared and scripted. A lot of it seems scripted. It, these Dodgers games are so scripted. It's crazy. Like they're trying to avoid, uh, they, they almost want it to go at bat to at bat the way they think it's going to go before they're planning their pinch hitters. They're planning, uh, when they're going to bring what pitchers in and how that can be followed by which pinch hitters they don't mind burning that don't have to go in the field. Like that's all stuff you should think about, but they script that out way in advance. Yeah. They have a movie script that they're hoping that it will abide by. And if it doesn't, then you're in a little bit of a tough spot and you're going haphazardly and that's where things get tough. Yeah, I think you, you got to do a little bit of both. You, yeah. you, you got you to do a little bit of both. And I wanted to just say one last thing here yeah. is I pulled up a quote from Max Scherzer. And just kind of to wrap up the Evaldi thing. This is what Scherzer said about being tired in the last outing. They build our bodies to be able to do this, to be able to pitch three days in a row or four or five or however many they do that. I think that's in regards to a reliever. I get how they can do that. You build your arm to be able to do that. He said that a lot. But they're just not built to throw more than 20 or 30 pitches in any given day, which we know. That's why relievers don't really do that. My arm's not built to pitch every single day. I'm built to throw hundreds of pitches anytime I get in the game. But anytime I do get in, my arm's going to be sore no matter how many pitches I throw because that's what I'm used to. I think it's a very similar thing with the Evaldi, and that's what makes me very nervous. That's a fair point. Different builds for these guys. I think anytime you throw, as, as those guys, it's, it's all they know is, is just effort. Their body only knows when I throw, I'm going to get five days off after that and recover. 
it goes into like the lactic acid in your muscles and like it's crazy biological stuff like just just don't throw Evaldi before throwing him again eat a banana go on a run and nut up <laughs> yeah tough it out nate man all right he's arm Layton. i'm jack mcmullen just baseball show any link you need twitter instagram tiktok youtube discord uh the the shirt uh anything you need it's it's in the bio good night thank you everybody oh peter's gonna be so mad (laughs) 